Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Lunch on this eve of St. Patrick's Day. It was a joy uh, coming into work today. It's simply beautiful out. Long may it last and it will. We're in for a very good spell of weather right into the week and especially for the uh, feast day uh, tomorrow and uh, you know it's a big big day for everybody but we gotta do what we gotta do this year again for the second year in a row and I'd say at the top of the show today I appeal to people not to gather under any circumstances enjoy the day in your own home or out for walks or staying within the regulations but please please adhere as much as possible to the regulations at this time and it will be much appreciated by the government the health people and the guardie as well and by those who will not contract COVID. It's very, very important. It really is on this second St. Patrick's Day without the festivities. Well, we just got to celebrate it in a more restrained way. And I appeal to people to do that on this occasion. The vaccines are on the way. We can see, as Sarah Carey said yesterday to us, the finishing line is within sight. But we mustn't trip or mess it up or drop the baton in athletics terms at this stage. Welcome to the show this afternoon. We have lots to chat over the next couple of hours and comment as well. I want to talk about something, especially today. I've just got a message there from a listener. and I'm going to tell you about it in a short while. Uh, we will be talking about the uh, loud GAA house draw. Final push. The draw is coming up. Pretty fast, and there's only a few tickets left. Aidan Beryl will be joining us. Amy Winehouse is my featured artist of the week. Our story continues with a classic Winehouse song. We have Burke's banter. Yes, Sinead's musings on the lockdown a year on. Brilliant, I have to say. Tony Griffin is with us, the former all-star hurler. He's written a fantastic book for teenagers and parents. It's called The Teenager's Book of Life. And John Lowe, the money doctor, is here. Did you know if you're a woman... Yes, you are disadvantaged, not alone in the area of pay, but pensions. Yes, the gender pension gap we're talking to John about after two on the show. If you want to join in the conversation, don't forget the numbers. 086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp or text number, or you can call in now on 1850-715-958. But we begin again this Tuesday. It's almost a year now, every single Tuesday, and he's been so good to us on late lunch. Yes, he's the head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. I'm delighted to say hello again to Professor Paul Miner. Hello, Paul. Good afternoon, Jerry. 
Thank you for joining me again on the show. Well, Paul, you know the saying, being a, a keen sportsman yourself, uh, a week is a long time in politics and sport, but with COVID, I'm beginning to think 24 hours is a long time. Paul, AstraZeneca and the vaccinations being halted in Ireland and a number of European countries. Straight up, do you agree or disagree with the decision? I'm, I'm, I'm probably honest, Jerry, I'm a bit surprised with the decision. Certainly, you know, when you see possible side effects that have to be taken very seriously and they have to be examined very closely and that is what is happening. Uh, so the EMA is looking closely uh, at this. Um, my, my sense is that um, it probably isn't associated with the vaccine and the reason why I say that is because if you look at where this vaccine vaccine has been rolled out in very significant numbers, for example in the UK where 11 million people have been vaccinated with it, uh, this, this safety signal hasn't arisen or certainly it hasn't been detected. So I would be surprised if this is associated with it. Um, now, I accept that the, the NIAC and the, the sort of described it as sort of an abundance of caution and using the precautionary principle. I think that's generally fine, provided there's no risk on the other side by adopting that principle. And in this case, I, I think there is a risk in the sense that like 30,000 people this week who should have been vaccinated won't be vaccinated. 20,000 of them are in high-risk groups and 10,000 healthcare workers. So their vaccines are going to be, the vaccination is going to be delayed now by a number of weeks, well into April. And when we look at even blood clotting disorders and diseases associated with blood clotting, COVID is one of them. So it's not without its risks the other potential risk I see is when you start to introduce uh, doubt and maybe the confidence is dented in, in a vaccine. I, I think it can be very difficult to rebuild that. We've already seen that originally the intention was to roll out the AstraZeneca to the over 70s with the intention that that age cohort would be fully vaccinated by the end of March. And then it was decided that, no, that would not be rolled out and instead the uh, Pfizer and Moderna one would be used. But that delayed the rollout in those age groups until May time. And I think even that decision, again, people began to look and think that maybe the AstraZeneca one was inferior to the other two. And I think that just sets a dangerous sort of context, whereas all these vaccines are extremely good, highly efficacious. So to answer your question, Jerry. Absolutely, you have to take and look at these in a very serious scientific uh, manner. Uh, was it a proportional response? As I said, I was surprised that they actually paused. Now, I know I know a number of countries have done similar, uh, have, have adopted a similar uh, approach, but it's, it's not without its, its risks. And I would have imagined that given that, like, I think 117,000 people have already been vaccinated in this country again, without any significant uh, side effects. It probably surprised me that they went to the pause uh, rather than maybe continue with it, monitoring closely and wait for the EMA decision that will come at the end of this week. And the other thing to say, finally, Jerry, is that when you look at clotting, it's quite a frequent uh, event. I think there's about 300,000 cases of pulmonary embolism that sort of clots in the lungs every year in the EU. So again, it's quite a frequent event now. It so happens that in these cases in Norway, I think there are unusual clotting events or clots, especially in the veins that draws blood from the face and the head. So they're quite unusual and quite rare. 
But again, you would imagine if, if these are rare events, if they are associated with the vaccine, you would imagine in countries where there was, there's been very large rollouts, like mm. in the UK, for example, 11 million, you would have seen those cases. And so far, none of them have been reported. AstraZeneca also has its own database. EMA has also looked at its results. And all the data shows there is no difference in the frequency of clotting between vaccinated as opposed to what you would expect in the general population. So it would be my expectation, Jerry, that this will be restarted again, hopefully very quickly, and hopefully the EMA will come to a decision very quickly. Yes, there's no doubt. Um, as soon as I heard this, I was just thinking about, you know, the people who have, are concerned and might be worried about it. Should I, shouldn't I get the jab? You know, the damage that could be done potentially to the vaccine uptake. But look at people... Uh, really listen to you when you're with me here on the show and they take on board what you have to say. Would you just address that again? We do have, as you say, the Moderna, the Pfizer, the AstraZeneca, the Johnson & Johnson is on the way. You say categorically again to listeners today, Paul, take the jab, whatever jab you get. I would definitely say that, Jerry. And again, it's not just my opinion. You know, if you look at the data, the data both in, for example, the UK, you know, you can see the numbers dropping and dropping like, very, very sharply in those groups that have been uh, vaccinated. And the really good news here is not only is it directly protecting people who have been vaccinated, but the vaccine certainly seem to be having a positive effect in terms of reducing the level of transmission and the number of cases in those cohorts. So I think I've said it before to you that I think vaccines are the way out of this. Uh, They're going to be the, the, the biggest weapon we have in terms of the fight against this. And I see it in sort of two time periods. I think there is an acute need now, and I think this is the reason why the decision is so important and so relevant. I think for the next couple of months, you know, March, April time is a time when we need to vaccinate as widely as possible, especially to protect those who are most vulnerable because the level of transmission of the virus in the community is still relatively high. I think it'll get better uh, over the summer months. And then that will give us a second time that by September, October, we really need to have everybody vaccinated. So anything that interferes, and this does interfere with the rollout of the vaccine and delays it, is is not a good thing. And everything is is trying to balance that and measure risks. And there's risks on both sides. And it's trying to get that balance and get a proportionate response. But certainly anything that uh, we should, I think, be focusing in terms of vaccinating and rolling out the vaccination as quickly as possible. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine news uh, late morning just coming that the, the EU has secured, I think it's an additional 10 million doses that will be delivered quite quickly. The Johnson & Johnson, when when is that going to be available, Paul, do you know? So hopefully that will be available in April. Uh, but even then, as, as uh, recently as last week after approval, I think Johnson Johnson did indicate that the, the intended supply over the first, uh, up until June, again, is not what they would have hoped it would be. So I think they're anticipating some delays there as well. And it's probably got to do with the fact that, you know, all of these companies are going after the same type of reagents, consumables, materials, and then just scaling up. The scaling up and the size of that scale is just unprecedented. So, you know, there there could be slight delays in that as well. But certainly the big advantage of that is that it's a single dose uh, vaccine. Now, one of the things associated with that, people will say that this is now very different. It's better, for example, than the AstraZeneca. The AstraZeneca one also 
gives you really good protection after a single dose, but it gives you better mm. after a second dose. It could even be the same with the Johnson & Johnson. We know the trial was set up to look to see if it was effective and efficacious after a single dose, and it is. But there's also, Johnson & Johnson were also pursuing an additional trial and extending that trial to see if a second dose actually gives better and more prolonged uh, protection. But certainly that's going to be a significant addition to availability and use of vaccines, uh, especially the fact that it's single dose. And the, importantly, it's ease of storage. So it's just stored in the fridge. So it, it allows for easy storage, easy distribution, an easier administration and more widespread administration over a short time period. I spoke to Sarah Carey on the show yesterday and she was writing about it in recent times in her her opinion column in the, uh, the Irish Independent and she was saying, you know, uh, reflecting that there is a frustration and it is so close. You know, she was saying to people yesterday, listen, the vaccine and mass vaccination is on the way. It's very near. We, we need to be, uh, you know, so careful now not to mess up. And I just want to come to that point, Paul. I mentioned it at the top of the show there. It's St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. The weather's going to be lovely. Normally, people will be out celebrating parades, as you know, etc. And we're quickly into the Easter uh, in a couple of weeks' time as well. What do you say to people today? You know, there's a real, I feel it in the air today with people, lots of people out and about. There's a stirring there, Paul. The clocks are going to change as well. You know what I'm getting at, but what advice have you, tomorrow especially for people, you know, to enjoy the day, but? Yeah, I'd say enjoy the day, but like certainly avoid socialising, especially indoors, Jerry. I think we saw from Christmas at Christmas time. Now, it was one of the contributing factors. It wasn't the only one. I think the arrival of the variants was a major, major player in terms of that spike at Christmas time. But certainly the more intense socialisation inside, uh, that is a major contributing factor. So tomorrow, certainly you would say you try to avoid socialising, you know, inside. If you are, you know, interacting with people, certainly make sure that that's outdoors. And something very interesting, Jerry, I've just been doing, looking at, you know, this virus, it's the most intensely studied virus ever, which probably isn't a surprise. And so far in the scientific literature, there's been over 100,000 publications. It's, it's amazing, you know, in, in mm. 12 months, there's been 100,000 publications. But I've, I haven't seen any that have, that have described a super spreading event outdoors. And that to me says that, you know, the chances of getting this and it being transmitted outdoors is very, very, very small. And sometimes I think, and I absolutely agree with what you've said, and I think Luke, Luke O'Neill has said, you know, the last thing you'd want to be doing is shot on the last day of the war, you know? So yes. You, you want to avoid that situation, obviously. But I think the people need some hope, and especially as we look at April and maybe with some of the restrictions being lifted. And the question I always ask, are there ones that can be lifted without, you know, introducing very significant risk? And I think this idea of, outdoors and maybe people meeting outdoors and the risk associated with transmission outdoors is very, very small. Uh, So I think even as a starting point, we should begin to look at that and even maybe some outdoor sport, especially where children are involved. So I think, yes, absolutely, we have to be cautious, especially since the vaccines are with us now and that gives us very real protection. But I think there's also space there to look at very low risk and rather consistent just look going down this absolutist approach and it's all or none that is it possible to begin to give some people some hope and to return to some degree of normality even from a mental health point of view to look at the 
the possibility of lifting restrictions that are relatively low risk and, and following the data and science on that. I think it's a must, Paul, because as I said to you, I just feel, you can feel the pressure building on the keg and what you mentioned there, if that were to happen in itself, it would be a release in ways and it would be a huge help and a step on the road as well. So please God, that will happen regardless, that that will be allowed, especially for children and young people, to again start being involved in their groups with safety, we have to say as well, and outdoor pursuits. I, I love the golf myself, I know, and the bit of fishing yeah. and things. But look, things like that, that people can can get to, and uh, outdoors, as you say, Paul. Anyway, fingers crossed. As I said, a week is a long time in the world of COVID. I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about uh, over the next week or so, but Paul, thank you again. We appreciate your time and enjoy St. Patrick's Day yourself and your family. You too and all the listeners. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for joining me indeed. That's the brilliant Professor Paul Moyner there, Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. The numbers to uh, join in the chat on the show today, 086-1800-658. If you have anything to say, that's the WhatsApp or text number. Or you can call in now on 1850-715-958. Day 28 today in my 40 days and nights for Slav. God, it's flying along. There'll only be 12 days left after I walk this evening. You know I'm doing uh, 40 minutes at least every day for 40 days. In fact, I'm doing 5K every day minimum. And I've uh, kicked the hooch for the 40 days as well. No alcohol. All for a young man called Slav Vavro, who's uh, being on a cancer journey since he was 13. He's 16 now. He's been abroad twice for major procedures. Had one recently here again in Ireland. He's uh, had to purchase an oxygen chamber. It cost 65000 and it costs money to keep it going as well and all else besides. So I'm just doing this 40 days and nights for Slav at this time. And you have been absolutely tremendous. The kindness, the support, the money that's come in, it's been simply outstanding. I'm really pleased. I'm honoured. And I feel humbled by it. And I'm delighted for the Vavro family. And they just can't say thank you enough to everybody. And let me tell you a little story about yesterday when I was out walking. Yesterday was day 27. I was on my way back, say, in the final kilometre of the walk. And I heard a shout, Jerry, hey. And I said, looked round. And I know the man. His name is John. And he came over to me. He says, Jerry, you're doing great. You're walking for that young fella, aren't you? I am indeed, I said. And John put his hand in his pocket. And gave me a donation. You know, it's just those little things that keep you going and encourage you, aren't they? They're just fantastic. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. And a week ago, I think I was telling you, I came, I was coming through Lawrence Gaydon, draw it, and there's a post box there. And then I nearly jumped with the fright, the shout I got. Hey, Jerry, you're going great guns. When the local postman was emptying the post in the box around about six o'clock in the evening, he gave me the, the G-op to get on and keep going. And I am. And I will. And I will do the 40 days and nights. There's no doubt about that. Do your best. GoFundMe.com. Oxygen for Slav is where you can contribute. And any cash. And I've got a lot of donations sent here to the station. I am lodging or passing on to Slav's mum. And it's all going. Every single euro to the account. Thank you again from my heart. I have a message in from a listener, an early message to the show to 086-1800-658. That's the WhatsApp or text number. You may need it. Listen to this. Jerry, could you please mention the boy racers that are in Clarehead every night? Last weekend on Saturday night, Sunday morning, they even had fireworks up in the car park in the harbour. The speed of the cars is frightening. 
It starts on the Harbour Road and goes all the way to the Harbour itself. I want to ask on your show today, Jerry, where are the Gardaí? They're in Clarehead all day, keeping an eye on people, going out for their walks and making sure they're not travelling outside the 5k. That's fine. But please, says Anna, Gardaí Corner, will you come to Clarehead and sort out this most dangerous matter? I'm sure the Gardaí, they listen to us here on LMFM and uh, I'm sure there's a Garda in the area listening today. So Garda Shiakana, Clarehead, the boy racers, where are you? It's uh, happening every night down there on the Harbour Road. Come on, it's time to send a car to down there and sort this out, isn't it? I think it is. People deserve to have that issue dealt with quickly. And uh, we'll pass it on as well and on your behalf, we'll be in touch. And uh, we'll pass on the information. Thank you for contacting me today. I, I have a, an issue myself. I live in the north side of Drogheda. What about scrambler bikes? Anyone have an issue with scrambler bikes? I see there's new legislation on the way that you can't scramble or take a quad onto private lands without the permission of the owner. What about scramblers on our roadways, public roads and in our estates? Guys scrambling round all hours of the day and the noise of them. Is that legal? Is it legal to have a scrambler on the road? I'm sure you must have tax and insurance. That's the minimum requirement. Anyone else an issue with scrambler bikes or, you know, boy racers? If you have, let me know. I want to hear from you on the show. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now to the show. Or if you'd like to call in, it's 1857 Is it an issue in your area, no matter where you live today and you're listening to me? Is it an issue? I want to try and get a handle on this. It's not bad. It's not bad for a cover version. Will never be the original. Yes, covering the timeless Billy Joel song, Uptown Girl. It's Westlife on your late lunch this afternoon. Jerry, yes, we have a major issue with young teenagers going round Dundalk on these scooters, no lights, dressed in black and dark gear. They're an accident waiting to happen, says a Dundalk listener to us this afternoon. So there you are. That's Dundalk have an issue there with the uh, same problem. Earl Louise has just been checking the law on scramblers for us. What does it say? Well, now this is according to South Dublin County Council, so I have to find out if it's bylaws there or whether it's nationwide. But I have here the law, certain scramblers and quads do not comply with vehicle standards and are therefore limited to off-road use only. But if the vehicle does meet the correct standards and is to be used for road use, it must have insurance, road tax, lights, reflectors and registered vehicle with a displayed number plate. Mm. And the rider must be 16 years of age and have an A1 category driving licence. I would say, without generalising here, I'd say that's pretty on the mark. That is that is the law. But the bikes, the scramblers, I would have noticed, <laughs> they wouldn't have plates or anything like that. Now, they may have the insurance, they may have the licence, I'm just saying that. But... That's the law. That's what's required, mm-hmm. minimum, to have them as on-road vehicles, it, these scramblers. It just doesn't say, though, what standards they have to be yes, up to. Yes, yes. Oh, look, thanks for, thanks for telling us that, because it gives us an insight into what's required. I think they're a nuisance in several ways. The speed of them, the noise. I hate the noise. The noise of the bloody things. Look, at they're for a place. They should be out on courses or they have permission on land, fair enough. 
but not in built-up areas and busy roads. Come on, they shouldn't be. And, you know, if if they are not registered properly and they shouldn't be on the road, well, it's quite simple. Uh, the vehicle should be confiscated and off the road. It's quite, you know, there's laws in the country and we've got to apply them and we've got to make sure that they are applied as well. If you have anything to say on it, this all started with the boy racers in Claherhead, uh, onto Scramblers and Quads. If you have anything to say or have an opinion, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for all your comments to the show this afternoon. Uh, Jerry. Uh, let us remember all of the people who work so hard to put on the St. Patrick's Day parades all over the place. This year there are none again, but they're fantastic people and we think of them this time and especially all the people who worked for the parades over the years who are no longer with us. That's a lovely thought there and we do and uh, we remember them and say well done to all who were involved in the parades right across the North East in previous years. Please God, next year uh, the parades will be back. Yes, Jerry, e-scooters, scramblers, cyclists on the footpath, cars parked on the footpaths and the guards seem to ignore them all, says an RD listener. So we have Dundalk, we have RD, we have Clotterhead, we have Drogheda for sure. Uh, Kevin's been on to say, all mechanical ve- vehicles on the road must be fit for purpose. Yes, uh, that's uh, taken as read, I'm sure. Kevin, thank you for getting in touch with us. Um, another one there saying, uh, oh yes, Vera, how are you doing? Happy St. Patrick's Day, Vera, to you and thanks for your good wishes and the same back to you too. I have another one here that's just come in to me on WhatsApp. I'll read it to you from a listener. God bless you all. Teenagers and young people have been having it quite tough, especially in the COVID-19 virus times, just like most people. But you have to feel for the youth. Their teenage years, their lives are passing them by with all this virus and the lockdowns. You have a lot of do-gooders giving out about them. Hope things will get back to normal as soon as possible, says a listener to us. Look, at, I, I, I understand, and I think most people do. Teenagers will be teenagers. We're talking about them a little bit later on in the show. And they need their outlets. And we want to get back to them involved in playing sport. But I have to say, it's not acceptable. It really isn't. To be on scramblers. I don't know whether you live in a built-up area. If you're in the countryside, maybe it's a little different. Scramblers are off-road vehicles, so they are. And that the noise of them and... Uh, this zipping round built up areas with children out playing it's a danger that's all we're saying we're just pointing out and, and listeners are as well and really you know there's appropriate places for scramblers and quads to enjoy themselves and there should be appropriate places and they should have places to go but please not in built up areas and not at 11 uh, at clock at night or midnight or into the early hours come on that's just not on either it really isn't thank you indeed for your comments keep them coming to us 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text now we have heard on many occasions about the pay gap between men and women and it's been debated ad infinitum and will continue to be debated and rightly so but what about the pension gap because folks there is a pension gap I've been looking at a couple of studies about it and one of them has revealed that the average pension income of retired women is 35% lower than retired men. Why is this and can women make up the gap? Well, the man who knows all about money is the money doctor, John Lowe, and he's on the line. Hello, John. Hello, Jay. Good afternoon to you and your listeners. Thank what you. What for... a beautiful day, by the oh. way, it is down here as well, I might add. Oh, John, it's just gorgeous all over. It really is. Thank you so much for joining me on the show again. John, what are the reasons underpinning this? It's horrendous, 35% on average. Yeah, I mean, there were two reports, Jerry: ERSI research report in September 2019 and then the Social Justice Ireland in July last year. 
Uh, and the average uh, uh, pension, you know, income of retired women, as you say, was 35% lower than men. So, I mean, according to Irish Life, there's about 120,000 less in a women's pension pot than there is in a man's. So up to August of uh, 2019, uh, the average pension drawn down for men was 125, where the average one for women is 69. Mm. So it's not even about, you know, the employees' participation in pension schemes, because it's virtually the same for men and women. Starting a pension, for instance, 37 for age for men, 36 for women, uh, you know, kind of participating within the pension plans, 48% for women, 47% for men, and those who are active in their pension, 57, and for men, 55. So, you know, I, I actually think that, you know, there's a number of issues here. If you even go back 50 years ago, Jerry, um, most women had to stop working financially yeah. once they got married, which mm. was really crazy. Crazy, yeah. And, and since then, um, they have had one eye. I mean, it's, it's a very tough role that women today have to play because they've got one eye on the family and one eye on, on working. And it's, it's like if you have more than two or three children, it can be, you know, quite quite a, a life. Anyway, there's also part-time contract temporary. Essentially, there's a disparity even at ages of 55 to 64 when there can be as much as a 20,000 difference in salary. So, I mean, one of the issues uh, is that, you know, uh, men are like, you know, longer in employment than women, seven years. I really do believe that, you know, women who decide to stay at home and, and be homemakers, you know, the question I always ask is, do you work financially for a living? Do you work outside of the home? I mean, it's so true that those women who are, are at home, who are minding children, are working far harder than most of their counterpart men. Mm. And, and, and yet they're not being uh, paid for it, yes. which I think is a disgrace. I think there should be some kind of a credit given to even the, the, the partner who's working so that they can actually, you know, make a contribution towards the partner who's staying at home. OK, and John, is there any way of getting around this to allow credit for that period of time when women are out of what we, you would call the mainstream wor- workforce, maybe rearing their children? Because no matter what we say today, the bulk of that responsibility still lies on the shoulders, as you have alluded to in the last few moments, of the mother. Is there any way of putting something in there that would, you know, bring equity to the pensions in Ireland? Well, 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 you know what, I, I have really campaigned over the last number of years. Uh, I mean, it's, it's down to your representative, your TD, your minister, to try and get some kind of legislation in, in play, whereby that person who decides to say it they should be given some form of, um, you know, an income, especially when they come to retirement. You've got to bear in mind, Jerry, that uh, men, uh, are, are kind of expectancy age, uh, is about 78. Women are five years older, going to be five years older expectancy, mm-hmm. like 83. So that means that, you know, 57.6% of the working population currently have nothing other than the state pension to look forward to when they retire. And for some, uh, you know, those partners who are at home and who have been maybe minding the family or whatever reason, um, they have nothing to look forward to, especially when in 20 years' time, that state pension, Jerry, will probably be abolished. And that is a frightening scenario, John. I know that, and you've mentioned that here before, that that is uh, potentially on the horizon down the road, and that's why it's so important for people to take out a a private pension, if at all they can. Now, look, just come back to this for a moment. Um, So you're saying to me that really recognition and pay for staying at home, rearing children, taking time out of a career, they may go back later. That is a key area. Isn't pay a key area as well, John, while that disparity is there between men 
and women, well, the pension is also adversely affected. Well, you know, there's obviously a a gap in in both pay and in pension. And both of them really should be uh, addressed. And they they are starting to be addressed. I mean, I I, I was quoted last year, Jerry, uh, by a young lady who came into my office in November 2019, and she wanted to set up a pension. She was 26 years of age. And at the end of that little conversation, she was visibly upset that she had actually uh, missed out on two years' contributions already. And she was 26. And John, uh, 26 you mentioned there. When you look at yeah. those reports you refer to, I've been looking at those as well. The average age for starting a pension is mid-30s. I know. I think that uh, m- women more than men are actually getting wise to this. They realise they have to actually start providing for their retirement. Not even the retirement, but for future planning. Because it actually makes a lot of sense as well, Jerry. A lot of these, I mean, I had, believe it or not, a 24-year-old girl on this morning, the Zoom consultation with me about her pension. And uh, she, she wanted it, because she's, uh, it's, it's a complicated story, but she wants to get cracking at it straight away. Yeah. But it, I think that, that um, you know, the younger you started, the better it is. And then you don't have to then rely on the potential state ben- benefit if it is going to be there when you do eventually retire. So the younger, the better. That's for sure. And and even if you are, uh, you know, a female and you started at 26 years of age and then you have in your early 30s or mid 30s, you have a number of children, uh, you, you still have that fund there and it's still growing and you can still make a contribution to it. Maybe by then there's a good chance that somebody in the government or somebody politically will bring in some steps that will actually help. Uh, you know, maintain those people that they can stay at home and be be paid for it. Mm. Mm. What do you say, do you John, say, John, to people who uh, who, for example, would say that you know, at a younger age, you're talking about in the twenties, there into the early thirties, there's a lot of call on them financially, and you know this, especially from the point of view of trying to buy their own place to live. The mortgage is a huge thing. There may be child mining as well as expensive. Trying to just live today is not that easy. And they say, well, look at, we'd love to, but John, how do you answer that one when somebody puts that scenario to you? I always, always, even at the when I do kind of send off emails with with various permutations, what they can and their options. And um, the first thing I say, you have to do a budget. You have to say to yourself, can I afford this? And the only way you can do that, Jerry, and there are you're absolutely right. By the way, there are people who just say, look, I've got to prioritise. It's either food on the table, or it's you know the home uh, deposit that I have to start saving, or it's something else. But it's not something frivolous like you know going away on a holiday for you know big holiday for a month after lockdown mm. it's 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 really um important stuff so it, people do prioritize and that's why by the way jerry over the last five years three hundred thousand people stopped paying their health insurance because they prioritized they had you know more important things to actually pay for than actually pay their health insurance so and, john and that's, a, that's a factor uh, look, and, and and we've spoken about this in the past, and you're right, people have to make calls in life, you know, where they spread their income, and it can be thin on the ground in many cases. Yeah. To sell pension, to uh, to sell the, the whole prospect of setting up a pension to listeners today before we finish, be it women or men, and we hear what you have to say, you've been working yeah. on this for years, and you're calling again for uh, the government to legislate for women who are disenfranchised. What do you say to anybody today out there about a pension? Isn't it true to say, John, and you can uh, clarify this, it's very, very, uh, probably the most tax-efficient thing you can do. 
it is actually the best investment in Ireland, Jerry, without a shadow of a doubt. Because even if you're on 20% uh, tax rate, it means for every 100 euros you can afford to put into a pension, you're getting 20 euros back from the government. That means you're up 20% before you start. Now then, you, you look at what kind of managed funds, for instance, last year, the average uh, pension grew by about 12%. 12% and 20 is 32%. I don't know any investment that would have grown 32% in one year last year. And if you're on 40%, I mean, that's just like 52% then in one year. So it makes huge sense. Um, the, the higher the tax rate you're on, it makes absolutely huge sense. And up to your limit. So anybody who's, say, between 30 and 40, they can put 20%, one-fifth of their annual income into a pension fund and to maximise their tax relief. That's, that's not, not to pay over. They, they're getting 20 or 40% back from the government for free. So it's a brilliant investment, number one anyway. But also, you are providing for your, you know, your retirement, your planning. So I, I would think that, you know, if that is your case, that you can either put, you know, you know, at 20% or 40%, that you can actually go and do your budget and you can afford to pay that, knowing that if you're paying, you know, a thousand euros a month, or maybe you're paying 500 euros a month into a pension, make it be easy, make it 400 euros a month, and you're going to get, you know, 20% of that back. That's eight, eight, 80 euros, you know. Yes. And does that come back to you in actual cash, John, or is it allowed on your tax? The way it works is that you would pay the gross and your tax credits then are increased by that amount so that you get more money in your income, yes. um, but you're paying the growth out. So, I mean, that's on 20%, say 400, you get 80 euros uh, on, you know, 40, obviously, a percent, then a 16, uh, 160 euros. Yes, and I'm you know, just... It's well worth it. It is really, really well worth it. I'm just looking just at your website here, moneydoctors.ie is the website, moneydoctors.ie, and I can just see, I can book a one-to-one Zoom financial contract consultation with the money doctor himself and I know he's so busy with it but if you want to talk to John directly it's moneydoctors.ie I just want to tell them before I go I made a great investment on a football match with a fella the weekend called the money doctor and you, you certainly, you certainly got one nice bottle of champagne, and you were very quick with the old brand I made out immediately after the match. It was hardly the match was over, and the brand came down on on the text. Yes, Bollinger will do, John. Yes, John is a Spurs fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. Guess who won the North London Derby? Come on, the Gunners. We live to fight another day. Anyway, John, you're a star. You're so good to us. And I say again, moneydoctors.ie for a consultation or to get in touch with John. Talk to you soon, John. Thanks a lot. See you, Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, John Lowe there, the money doctor. You forgot to mention Arsenal beat Tottenham at the weekend. Rub it into the Spurs <laughs> fans today on late lunch. Anyway, had I lost, just a little secret, folks, he's gone now. Had I lost, yes, I had a bottle of bubbly for him. I'm getting Bollinger. <laughs> Mine was seven euro in Aldi. Don't tell him, don't tell him, don't tell him. (laughs) Jerry, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, We live in uh, a town in Meath. That's good to hear. And I hope you enjoy where you live. But scramblers have become a big issue for us in recent times as well. There you go. So uh, scramblers are a bit of a bother to people. And, uh, you know, respect is not expensive and a little bit of respect is appreciated but I do say off-roaders scramblers quads whatever they need places to go and we want to encourage them to enjoy their bikes and their quads but don't be waking us up at midnight and 
rushing around built up areas as I say that are a danger to other people that's not on it really isn't on and I'm not a killjoy I was a young fella myself and I did mad things and never had a motorbike now I never had a motorbike in my life never ever ever first thing I had was a car got a car went straight for the juggler got the little mini SIY 211 little purple one the Sputnik as my mother called it that was the first one I ever had but never had a motorbike now Sinead Burke is brilliant she's a really keen observer of life and she's a regular with us now on Late Lunch it's called Burke's Banter and today just over a year on from the lockdown she's reflecting on the last 12 months Lockdown lessons. Do you think we're finally on the home stretch? I hope so. Don't know about you, but after a year of trying to be all brave and resilient and live my best lockdown life, these last couple of weeks have been tough. Maybe things seem a bit harder now because the end, though not exactly in sight, might be around the next corner and down the lane for a mile or two and round another corner and then there, just there. It's a relief to know now the route out, but it's frustrating to realise we have some distance to journey yet. As I am an annoyingly positive and naive person, I started lockdown one with high hopes for how I would steer my family through it. As the shutters on schools and shops and pubs came down, the expectations I had of myself went way up. Unrealistically so it turned out. Oh, sure we were going to do the divil and all, Months of exploration stretched in front of us. Hours saved from not having a long work commute or servicing an endless schedule of children's after-school activities were going to be spent in creative and exciting ways. As God was my witness, there wasn't going to be a virtual tour of any internationally regarded museum or zoo that we weren't going to take. I was going to dust off my old piano books and teach at least one of the kids. An outside nature-related project was also discussed. I began looking around the house for things I could spray paint. When the teacher asked my children what they did during coronavirus, they wouldn't be found wanting. Perhaps we could even subscribe to one of those online courses which can teach you five foreign languages in a fortnight. A year on and none of this has happened. A couple of keys on the piano didn't work. I lost patience trying to use the navigational arrows that walked you through the British Natural History Museum. When they reopen, the cleaners may well find a virtual Sinead curled up in a fetal position beside the gift shop, wailing, I was only looking for the dinosaurs. The mooted nature project turned sour early on due to creative differences. The only spray paint I had was gold. Mr Burke had to stage an intervention as the house slowly began to morph into a dormer bungalow version of Trump Tower. And I'm embarrassed to say, we didn't even learn rural Mandarin in the finish. Like every other family in Ireland, we just muddled through one page of mental maths at a time. A personal low point was when I had to Google how to do long division. But that's not to say there hasn't been some successes. To mix up things during lockdown too, I added life skills to the home curriculum. It was a proud day for everyone involved when both children mastered changing a fitted sheet. In recent weeks, we have moved on to the honours part of the syllabus, which examines how to change a duvet cover. If either of my kids have a university graduation in their future, fair warning, it will be difficult to top the level of pride I felt the day I inspected both of their freshly made beds. Long division is all well and good, but if things don't pan out academically for either of them, 
any hotel housekeeping department would be lucky to have them. But now, after all this effort, we are tired. Tired of running up and down the stairs between trying to keep the job going through a laptop in the kitchen and policing the landing for errant children on the mitch from their Google classrooms. Tired of walking the legs off ourselves on the same stretch of the lane every day. Tired of washing face masks. Tired of putting a brave face on. Tired of let's make the best of things drinks over Zoom. Tired of seeing the worry in my parents' face. Tired of the whole flippin' thing. We are on the home stretch, though. We are now on the way back to normality. A new normality, which will be informed by some of the unexpected lockdown lessons we have learned. We've remembered how kind we can be. We've realised how important a sense of community is. We've recognised how fragile and scared loneliness can make us. Those truths have always been with us. But maybe they got a little lost in the hustle and bustle of pre-COVID everyday chaos. We all have lots to look forward to. If we take it handy and don't act the maggot, this will be over eventually. When it does, we will be in a new world. Hopefully it will be one in which we can bring with us the kindness, the solidarity and the new hierarchy of important things we have established over the last while. A world where we can pack the car and go out for the day. A world where we can hug without thinking. A world where we can drop the masks, the material ones and the pretend bravery ones. We're nearly there. My next guest is an all-star, Claire Harler, co-founder of the Soar Foundation, which promotes greatness in young people. He spent a decade with teenagers, listening to their fears, worries and dreams. And he joins me today following the publication of his new book, aptly named The Teenager's Book of Life. Tony Griffin, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Not at all. You're very welcome to the show, Tony. Thanks for joining me today. Look, I want to start with a quote from your book to begin. Uh, Early on in the book, this is what you say, completely undervalued by the majority of adults. Of course, you're referring to teenagers. Why do you say that, Tony? I I think that having spent so many years working with them, Jerry, I I began to realise that very often in the environments we'd create in workshops, you know, listening to 40 or 50,000 young people talk about their lives, they talk in an honest way about what they feel about things they've been through, whether that was losing a loved one or hopes and fears. And I heard your song before the ad break, which was very apt, and their hopes and fears and worries. And I'd ask them, have you ever talked to your, would you talk to your parents like this? And they said, no, 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 I wouldn't. And And I'd say, why not? And well, they'd say, well, you know, they wouldn't understand. And I'd say, well, they were teenagers before. On the other hand, I'd have parents uh, on the other side saying, you know, I've been trying to talk to my teenager and get through to them, but they, they just won't listen. And what I learned was the reason there was something falling in the middle is very often adults underestimated the level of perhaps honesty or just the the life experience that teenagers are able to discuss that they have a lot more to say than they usually let adults hear because they're afraid of being judged but it's hard to talk to teenagers that's something I also learned along the way and I'm no expert my kids are, are very very young nine months and six years of age but I know for sure that teenagers have a lot more to say than they're saying or that we're hearing. 
Now, from my perspective, I have children and I have grandchildren, Tony, now at this stage. And I have to say to you that, you know, I would have had experience of what you're talking about. But at the end of the day, you know, is it my, you know, my situation in that my parents never really opened up to me, nor could I open up to them. And I've I've carried that with me through my life completely like we've come by everything honestly jerry like there's a chapter in the book that most parents kind of take a second glance at and it's called your parents are idiots and so are you and what i mean by that and i mean it very lovingly is i i kind of beseech teenagers in that chapter to give your parents a break that you know they grew up perhaps in ireland where many of the things that are talked about now were never talked about so i I encourage teenagers that it's almost like your parents are trying to catch up they're trying to, um, they're doing their best because I met so many parents, grandparents who were wonderful people, but they didn't grow up in an era where there were emojis or there was even a discussion that we had an interior world that manifested in how we feel. So I, I often say to teenagers, look, maybe cut your mom or dad a bit of slack. Maybe they're trying their best and you just don't see that. So you're, you're completely correct. That's why it is, it is, there's an opportunity and I hope the book will be that. And what I'm learning is it's connecting parents and teenagers on the same level in a way that maybe they struggled before and, and they're reconnecting, which wasn't the reason I set out to write the book, but it's a fantastic outcome that I didn't uh, envisage. Uh, I'm an unadjusted teen all these years later. That's how I feel at this age when I read your book and consider what you have to say. But look, at is it too late for me or maybe others listening to us today? Younger people, you know, who are dealing with teens today, who hadn't that connection with their parents, couldn't connect with them, couldn't speak up, couldn't dig deep into their emotions. Can you put this right? You absolutely can. And, you know, it's... It's funny, when I set out to write the book, I had all these experiences. It's almost like I was a, a, I saw myself in some ways as a translator because I had so many young people with so much to say. Like, sometimes they talk about their parents. You know, I remember one girl in particular, her mum had lost her, her body function, so she was in bed. So the dad had to pick up extra hours. Now, this is a story up and down the country. And she was 16. She'd get up in the mornings. She'd bring her mum her breakfast. Then she'd go and get her three younger sisters out to school. She'd go to school herself. And when I said, what do you miss most about your mum's condition? And she said, well, on the cold mornings, mum used to put my, my, my uniform on the radiator before I got up. And it was just that way of her telling me she loved me. And now she can't do that any longer. And I just thought to myself, you know what? Teenagers and young people... They, they do have a lot to say and I wanted to write the book to kind of reassure them and, and almost like an older brother or sister say, look, it's going to be OK, but here are some things you might need to hear but aren't hearing. And here are some things you can do when you need to, you know, kind of get through difficult times. But here's the interesting thing. Parents have picked up the book and they start reading it and they ask their teenager a question and all of a sudden they're discussing, you know, the, their granny that died. And they've never talked about it because it was too painful. Or there's a piece in it about a boy who was bullied and how and how he came came through that. And the parent might open up and tell the son, yeah, you know what, I was bullied in secondary school. Now, they've never talked about it. But the book is almost like a map that it's never too late to connect. And the book is hopefully going to help a lot of people do that and realise that, you know what, we're all in the same journey, facing the same feelings, and we all have the same challenges at times. 
the conversation being opened up, you have two sides here. You have the teen and you have the parent as well. Who should make the running? If, if the lines of communication, Tony, have broken down, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, they just don't, uh, you know, engage. The teenagers look on their parents as idiots. Uh, the parents look on the teenagers, well, they've gone into a world of their own. They're going through the phase that they go through. Whose responsibility is it? Now, you've spoken to thousands and thousands of teenagers. Do you encourage them or is it on the parent side? Well, I think it's, 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 I'd encourage, I suppose, it's a fantastic question. It's one I've never been asked. I'd probably say that it's somewhere in the middle. Like a lot of parents say to me, how do I get my teenager to read this book? Like I've seen it, I've read it. They have to read it because these are all the things I want them to know about life. And I've said to them, well, the first thing you don't do is hand it to them and say, read that. You just get it for them, get yourself, read it first yourself maybe, but leave it somewhere where the it'll just be on the surface in the kitchen or in the living room. Just leave it there, say nothing, and I guarantee you it's when you're gone out two or three days later that they'll pick it up. It's written in such a way that it kind of catches their attention and they'll keep going. And then just let let just see what happens. My bet is that they'll mention something in the book. And then the doors will become open. You see, the difficult thing I found, Jerry, and especially in my first year working with teenagers, was how do you how do you connect with someone who they're no longer a child, they're not an adult, and they're in this limbo land where they really are trying to figure themselves out. Some of them are very lost. They don't know how to manage the emotional storm that's brewing inside them. And they are confused. Very hard to connect with that. And... One of the things I found worked was I talk very openly about my own breakdown, about my dad dying and how that where that sent me, my regrets. And they really listen to that honesty. They kind of almost put the phone away. So I don't think there's a clear answer to your question other than I'd let it emerge by perhaps just leaving the book around the place and seeing what happens. And also a lot of parents are so well-intentioned. They really want to connect, have that relationship they had a few years earlier. And I get that. But I would say just trust your teenager that they'll come back to you. They're supposed to leave you for a few years. We always have through history as teenagers. But just trust that they'll find their way back to you. Um, and, 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 and that does happen because young people do find their way back to you. Sound advice there, Tony. Now, look, the other uh, uh, imponderable, or it is really ponderable now, that wasn't in my generation. And indeed, when my children were growing up, it wasn't such a big factor. But here it is today, and we keep coming back to it on this show with different contributors on different subject matters at different times. That World Wide Web, World Wide Web and social media. And, you know, I read your book and I see it's all, you know, in person, you know, it's about feelings. It's about connecting face to face. What about that bogeyman in the room now? Yeah, it certainly is. You know, since the book launched, I've had so much contact from people through all the social media channels. And, you know, on the one hand, it's like everything is a gift and a curse wrapped up in the one because, you know, I'm checking it. And then I realize, well, you know what? I'm an hour on this thing and I don't want to be. And it is so addictive for both adults and parents, um, especially when we're anxious or we don't want to sit with ourselves. It's a great way to distract ourselves. You know, teenagers, it is such an important part of a teenager's world, more than we can imagine. They've grown up with it. We haven't. They've never known a world without, you know, uh, WhatsApp or Instagram or Snapchat. They just don't know of a world before that. 
I think it's got it has its positives, but where I saw anyways, and I can only talk of my own experience, where it is a negative is where young people think that the images they see of people they follow, that that's the real world, that that's who that person is all of the time. Um, and so when they realize that that person also has cries themselves to sleep or has the days they don't like to look in the mirror, that's something that some young people can't actually imagine is is real life as well. How to manage it? I actually really struggle with that one myself. You know, I found that very often teenagers used it in some of our workshops as a screen just to just to stay in their world. But it's amazing when young people find what they're interested in, how they they almost like leave down the phone. So for parents out there, you know, if a young person has an interest, it might not be sport, it might be painting or art or music. The more they spend time doing that, the less they'll need to dip into the virtual world to feel um, to feel meaning. So perhaps it's more about finding other things that are interesting and draw them in that direction rather than trying to stop them using social media. When you it's t- not going when away. When you talk about teens, uh, Tony, you know, they're not of the voting age. A lot of them, they can't drive, they can't get married. Uh, Maturity is something that comes into question. But you have such a passion and uh, being a co-founder of SOAR, as I mentioned at the beginning there, in teenagers and what they are and the wisdom they possess. Now, people would say that wisdom comes with age. How do you square that? I think wisdom can come with age and also can come with an experience. So if you think of that 16-year-old I told you about, you know, I also remember a, a kid in, in a school in Wexford coming up afterwards and he said to me, um, you know, I, I was going to do something to myself tonight. I had it all planned. I knew what time my mum went to bingo. I knew what time my dad went for a pint and I had it planned. Now, I thought I was weak, but I've had this experience today in this workshop where I realised I'm not weak. I'm just lost. Now, he was that kid was the captain of the soccer team he was an a student and he no one ever saw this coming and he went and got some counseling got some help now he's back helping other young people so to your question i think experience it can bring wisdom just as much as age can and that's where it's almost like i got to see inside the secret garden for 10 years where young people told me about their lives in a way that they said they would never ever talk to their family members about because it's hard to talk to your family i find it hard sometimes to talk to my family members um but i was the stranger passing through town you know and what i learned in that is young people are not obviously there's there's a variation this but i saw so many young people jerry who were so experienced about life like that girl who got her mam up that it's sometimes we don't we don't see that and maybe that's because we were treated by our elders in a way where you know, it was speak when you're spoken to and be seen and not heard. Um, but we were wise back then. We, we, we had a sense of the world and who, who was decent and who maybe wasn't. Or We understood things that maybe adults didn't give us um, credit for. That's where my, my hope probably is that through the book, it might create a meeting place where more and more parents and uncles and aunts can get to, and grandparents, I've had loads of grandparents buy the book for their kids saying, I wish I had this when I was, you know, 15 um, in 1950s or 60s Ireland. All I want is for people to reconnect. I think we really need it as a, as a, as a people. And perhaps they can do that through the medium of, of the themes in the book. 
You've done it You've done by the spadeful, let me say. It's a wonderful book. It will prompt the conversation. And for anybody listening to us today on Late Lunch, The Teenager's Book of Life by Tony Griffin is a great way to introduce conversation. Break the ice. As Tony said there, leave it on the table. Let them pick it up. And I promise you, away you go. It's wonderful. Look, uh, I'm going to talk to you again down the road, please, God. But I wish you well with the book. And I thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today. Really appreciate it, Tony. Thanks for your lovely, considered um, interview. It was very enjoyable. Thank you, Tony. Take care of yourself. That's Tony Griffin there, the teenager's book of life. It's widely available at the moment. It's one, I have to say, of those books that comes along once in a while that does what it says it will do and what Tony said there. It will break the ice and get it going. Have you a teenager? Are you struggling with a teenager in your life? Or are you a teenager listening to me today that feels your mum or dad or whoever's looking after you or minding you would do with a copy of this book? If you are and you'd like a copy, I have one copy to give away on late lunch today. Here is the question for the book. At what age do the teenage years begin? At what age do the teenage years begin? Send me in the answer and your name and details. And if you want to tell me why you want this book, you can do that as well. You're quite welcome. So 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now. Listen to this. Hi, Jerry. I'll definitely be getting a copy of Tony's book. I've had some very deep conversations with my 12-year-old son recently. And I never had these conversations with my own parents. Unfortunately, my dad is in his final days and I have opened up to him about things I could never do before. Changing times. Well, at least you have the opportunity to open up at this stage. And it may be late in the day, but better late than never, isn't it? It really is. You know, I think of those, that song, The Living Years, and the regrets you won't have now. So there you are. You're opening up to your dad. I wish you well. And it's great to hear that. It's taken time, but it'll be really worthwhile, I know. And your son as well. Thank you for that lovely, lovely message today. It's really touched me, I have to say. Jerry, with another listener uh, in touch to say, you were talking earlier on about the quads and uh, the speeding cars and scramblers. We have the same problem going on near Dorian's pub and into Dunlear every night. So from Dorian's pub, I know it well, know the area very well, and into Dunlear. And the skid marks they leave behind is unreal. And again, Jerry, I'm calling for help here. It needs to be stopped immediately. It is really dangerous. Jeez, I'll tell you, that road from uh, below Dorian's there into Dunlear is an absolute danger of a road with the bends and that on it as well. So there you are. It's happening all over the northeast. Late launch LMFM radio still to come. We'll hear about the final push for the Loud House draw. Amy Winehouse is on the way. Let me tell you that your teenage years starts when you're 13 and ends when you turn 20. I think I'm still going. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> anyway, 13 was the answer I was looking for because I want to give away to somebody out there the uh, Teenager's Book of Life. We were speaking about the wonderful Tony Griffin, former Clare All-Star, earlier on in the show. And that book today is going to Derek Dixon in Trim. Well done to you, Derek. It's on its way to you. We'll get it out to you shortly in the post. And enjoy with your teenager. Thanks to everybody who got in touch. There's a lot of people looking for that book. But it's uh, it, it really is a good one to break that ice. I say again, between a teenager and yourself in your life. The Teenager's Book of Life by Tony Griffin. 
Now, what else was it to say to you? Oh, yeah, Patrick's Day tomorrow. What will I be doing for St. Patrick's Day? Well, I'll tell you what I'll be doing. I'll be putting in a few spuds outdoors. I'm ready. I have a few potatoes that are well sprouted. The uh, Duke of Yorks and the Sharps. I'll be putting in a few drills of them. They're not big drills. I've raised beds. But I'll be putting them in anyway tomorrow. It's good weather and the, the raised beds are in good condition. And uh, looking forward to that tomorrow. I'll probably cut the grass as well and do a few other things like that and just uh, take it handy. But outdoors tomorrow. And uh, looking forward to getting the early tatties in and thinking about them in about, what, 12 or 14 weeks' time. Please, God, when they're all right and that and we're enjoying the first one with a big knob of butter. But Patrick's Day, the traditional planting day for potatoes. It always was in our home where, where I grew up because we had spuds put in beds of them every year. And I sort of stick with that myself all these years later. So to gardeners out there, if you're putting in the spuds tomorrow, good luck to you and enjoy and have a nice time. And you can't beat the garden for getting your mind off things for sure. Now, my art. Oh, one other thing I wanted to say. Well done to Lizzie. Queen Elizabeth sent a, a message to our president, Michael D. D. Michael D. Higgins. Yes. And in Irish as well. Law fail a porrick thief galair. Well done. Well done to her. Lovely message and a little greeting there to the President and the Irish people ahead of St. Patrick's Day tomorrow from the Queen of England. Now, she's a Queen, all right, and she's no longer with us, sadly. Amy Winehouse is my Artist of the Week this week. Back to Black, her second album, was released in October 2006 and it reached number one in the UK album charts in early 2007, the following year, and stayed there for several weeks. It sold a whopping, listen to this, 1,850,000 copies in that year alone. And on the back of it, she toured extensively and was in huge demand worldwide, appearing at festivals, award ceremonies on TV and radio. She amazed Jules Holland on his annual New Year Hoot Nanny. She enthralled as she returned to Glastonbury and stole the show at the MTV Music and Movie Awards that year. Amy Winehouse was a rare talent. But as 2007 moved on, the cracks began to appear as her performances at concerts were slated as she appeared to be intoxicated on stage. She cancelled all performances after the uh, latter part of the year. Yet, early in 2008, she picked up an incredible five Grammy Awards. No surprise. She resumed live performances later that year, that's 08, returning to Glastonbury again and, among others, delivering a fantastic set. You may have been there at the Oxygen Festival in July, right here in Ireland. And yes, that album, Back to Black, became a must-have for millions, going on to be one of the best-selling albums in music history with over 50 million sales worldwide. Nothing to do today, but enjoy the title track from Miss Amy Winehouse. Yeah, Amy Winehouse, my Artist of the Week on Late Lunch. Simply brilliant. She was a real talent, wasn't she? The story continues with us here on Late Lunch on Thursday. Of course, we're off tomorrow for St. Patrick's Day and we'll play another big song from Amy and tell you more about her life. And talking about talented women, Rachel Blackmore on board Honeysuckle has just won the champion hurdle at Cheltenham, making history the first woman to win the champion hurdle. Well done to her and the horse, uh, tra- the uh, trainer, Henry de Bromhead there. And uh, yesterday on the show, uh, Leon Blanche tipped Honeysuckle for us and uh, Rachel Blackmore to do well. Uh, she could win, he said, uh, but he just thought she might be pipped for the most winners at the festival. There she is, a big winner there. And Henry de Bromhead, he thought, was an outside 
uh, bet with, uh, well, not outside. He thought it was a, a good one uh, to be the top trainer at the meeting. So there you are, uh, all round there, a good day for uh, Leon and his tips with us on late lunch yesterday. And well done again to Rachel Blackmore. Final break of the day coming up on late lunch and afterwards. There is still time to win a house. Loud GAA have not one but two houses up for grabs and the draw is coming up really soon now. Yes, Easter weekend. Somebody or two people are going to be so happy because they're going to win a new home for a small investment. Aidan Beryl from Loud GAA is on the line again. Hello, Aidan. Good afternoon, Jerry. I was going to mention horses and flogging them and that, but by God, I have to say, you've done a wonderful job with your team to, you know, keep pushing all the way. I take it that you're near enough there, but it's just the final little push now between now and Easter. Yeah, we're on, we're very much on the way at this point in time. This, this draw, as you know, Jerry started 17 months ago, November 19, and we've got a lot of fits and starts through pandemic and all that sort of stuff. But as of today, we've sold 19,000 tickets and we're well on the way to getting our, 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 our um, amount achieved over the line of about a million euros. So happy days. So again, there were 19,000 tickets. We're down to 19 days left. And it's a fantastic draw, Jerry, as you mentioned there. It's going to, we're trying to make a dream come true for Loud GA and building a new stadium. But in so doing, we're going to make a dream come true for two people on Easter Sunday. And uh, when it comes down to the draw, does the first, uh, just as an interesting question somebody was asking me, first name out of the hat, did they have the choice of which house or what way does it work? Yes, that's the way it works, Jerry. They have the cho- well, they have actually three choices. They can take either house or they can take €200,000 in cash, whichever is their preference. And the t- second person out will have, this, have two choices, the remaining house or 200000 in cash. So it, it's, it's a fantastic prize for anybody. It's going to set up somebody for life with a new home free of a mortgage, um, and maybe somebody that has an existing mortgage, it'll help them defray that cost going forward. Or indeed, anybody just wants to take the cash and live out their dream by travelling or buying a car, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and you know, the thing about these draws, it is the look of the draw, because it could go to somebody who was one of your first buyers back when you mentioned there in late 19 when it started. Or I've seen this before, Aidan, just maybe a last minute purchase, which, you know, there's still 19 days to go and it could be Lady Luck shining on you. Absolutely. Over the next 19 days, we have still tickets available on www.pickahouse.ie or from any club in County Loud, or indeed any officer allowed GA. So there are tickets remaining, and as you quite rightly said, Jerry, you could buy it at the last minute and still win. Yeah, I've seen it in the past. It is something, you know, I mean to say, it is lady luck. You've had a great response within the county, within the country, but also from Gales abroad. We've had a fantastic response. I suppose every county in Ireland has bought tickets, and we've sold a lot of tickets into Canada, US, Australia, the Far East, and of course, a lot of the European countries and the UK, we've we've spread our, our spread our tickets far and wide, and you know people have bought into it. Um, the clubs in the county have really bought into it and give us a fantastic assistance over the last 16, 18, 17 months, wherever it was, and they've really jumped to the cause and bought into this draw. And it's a real, it's a really um, all clubs to the. You know, shoulder to the pump here for, yeah. for, for all clubs yeah absolutely you know they've been brilliant and it's been a great response and fair cre- fair dues and credit to everybody involved a couple of things uh, before we uh, finish up today firstly the stadium itself and how you're going with that where is it and what what can we expect over the coming months well the stadium as, as it stands at the moment Jerry is, is where we filled it up last year we were fantastic we got local local material to fill it all up it's settling down at the moment uh, we would hope that 
We would get some sort of uh, construction work started in September. We have a very determined chairman and there's no way that this is going to drag on for years and years. It's going to be started as soon as possible. And Peter has made it well known out there that we're going to continue with the development as quickly as possible. That's good to hear. And the second point, you know what I'm going to ask you, you know, with the lockdown, close down, name it what you want. People are chomping at the bit of all ages to get out there again, start training, start playing. What are you hearing? Uh, at the moment, Jerry, there's nothing. There's no fresh news out there. We're kind of everybody's the fingers crossed that we can get the county teams back to training um, immediately after Easter and get get them up and running in the albeit in pods or whatever we have to do and get the the league possibly started in May. That's the rumblings at the moment. But uh, for club, we, again, we don't know if the pandemic figures, the figures coming out there, are even are probably not encouraging at the moment. Look, we, we live in hope. We have these uh, vaccines coming in now and they're probably going to accelerate over the next few weeks and hopefully that will bring our, our, our playing, playing days a lot closer. Mm, and encouragement today, if you look towards Scotland where they've been vaccinating away, now the 2nd of April, there's a lot resuming again. So you're right, Aidan, that's what we have to focus on now. Vaccination and then get going and everybody will be hopeful there'll be action sooner rather than later. But just to remind people again, it's pickahouse.ie if you want to get a ticket last minute. Contact your local club. They're widely available. 19 days to go and two people are just going to be over the moon Easter weekend with a big, big win. Well done to you, Aidan, and I wish you the best as always and thank you for joining us today. Thanks a Jerry. Take care, he said. That's Aidan Beryl there from Loud GAA, a wonderful, wonderful guy. Well, Louise, tell me before we say goodbye on the eve of St. Patrick's Day, what have you planned? Not a lot, Jerry. to be honest. What is there to do tomorrow? We have to stay within our 5K. Yes, and we do. I suppose it's a... Darby O'Gill and the little people, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And listen, you know, uh, if you're doing your little parades, uh, at, you know, people are doing things in, oh, yeah, in the their virtual, homes and around their houses parades. or the virtual parades. Yeah. You were telling me there's a guard in Meath. Who's involved in this? Uh, it's community guard over in Trim, Edel Dugdale. Yes. She's well known. And she's encouraging people to have a little parade in their sitting room or mm. their kitchen. Wherever. And record it and put it up um, on the internet, put it up on social media. I'm doing a little parade myself. Shh, don't say anything. Stop laughing, you. Stop laughing. I'm doing a little little thing myself tomorrow. So keep an eye on social media, LMFM. You'll <laughs> like, have to tell me the time. You might get a little surprise tomorrow. There's something coming from GK on LMFM social media to do at parades tomorrow. <laughs> we can reflect on it here on Thursday. Well, look at I, as I said, I'm putting in a few spuds and root round the garden, things like that. And Wednesday, you know Wednesday in the Kelly household? Oh, yeah, I can't believe that, Jerry. I'm just letting the side down there. I'm not. No corned beef or cabbage tomorrow. No. No bacon and ham. No, I do nothing. cooking at the bloody weekends for the mall. Going for your curry, usual curry. curry Wednesday. It's a St. Patrick's Day curry know. in the household tomorrow for all concerned. And I'm having stew. They can call and collect and they'll be. Are you? Yeah, it, well, you. it's my version of stew. It could be quite black, but uh, we'll try it anyway. Well, stew is generally dark. You know what I mean? A little bit of stout <laughs> into it and beef and things like that and mushrooms and all that type of stuff. You'll love it. I'm sure you'll make a great job of it. Anyway, pack sure it. you're listening to Tara Walker that often on the show here. You must be cordon blue. I'm Besides being a PhD teacher, <laughs> done your PhD in teaching, you're a cordon blue cook. Look what the lockdown has brought to you, Miss uh, Walsh. I must look up what PhD actually stands for in my world. Well, on Thursday, we'll be finding out what OCD stands for, just to give you a little point of our Thursday on the show. Anyway, that's for another day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Please do your best. 
stick to the regulations, enjoy the day, but let's have a peaceful and happy St. Patrick's Day. We're nearly there. We really are, folks. Take care of yourselves. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. We'll see you Thursday at 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.